This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. I understand that the importance of the elections or any election, especially in the spiritual and political climate we find ourselves in today in 2020, has far more significance and consequences than that of a World Series or any sporting event for that matter. Yet as Christians, we must keep our eyes on the Lord and our hearts and minds guarded, lest we become disillusioned, even bitter, thus being distracted from God's destination for each of us and miss the greater opportunities to reflect His kingdom in a world of divisiveness, fear, lawlessness, and confusion. It was four years ago, on November 2nd, 2016, that I was scheduled to speak and minister at a community-wide prayer service in the Spring Woodlands area, which is just north of Houston. And as it turned out, it also became the day of the seventh game of the World Series that year. Throughout those in attendance, I could see some of the people expressing their team's choice by wearing either Chicago Cubs or Cleveland Indians gear. As I got up to speak, I asked the crowd, how many of you are Cubs fans? Of course, many enthusiastically responded in affirmation. I got a similar response when I asked, how many of you are Indians fans? And then I said, tomorrow, some of you are going to be celebrating because your team won the championship, but some of you will be sad and disappointed that your team did not. But at the end of the day, no matter who wins or who loses, you'll still be Christians. You will still be members of the body of Christ, and you will still be a part of the church. Then I went on to say, in a few days, there's a presidential election that will occur, and many of us may have very strong differences in political choices and preferences. But at the end of the day, some of us will be ecstatic and will celebrate, and some will be deeply disappointed. Yet, we must remember that our hope is not in the institutions of men, nor in a candidate or even a political party. Our hope is in the hope of glory, Christ Jesus, in us. When the election is over, we will still be Christians, and as such, should reflect Christ even in our strongly held differences. Will we still reflect Christ even with those who may disagree with us, or we with them? I think one of the biggest challenges we find in our society today is the lack of civility and character we display in our disagreements, even in the church. I've never seen so many people who are so adamant and opinionated, politically and otherwise, that they allow their preferences to divide their families, their friendships, and even their churches. It's painful and heartbreaking, especially from those representing Christ on both sides of the political preference spectrum. The only unshakable kingdom is the kingdom of our Lord, and we the church must still love each other in our disagreements if we are to help others find their place in the kingdom. John 13, 35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How can we lead others to a relationship with God if we can't even get past our own differences? We need a church united for a nation divided. In Mark 10, 9, we see Jesus teach, Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. This passage I know applies to the context of marriage, But it's clear that God is the one who brings the church together and woe unto the man or woman who causes dissension and separation in the church. Proverbs 6.19 lists one who sows discord among the brethren as one of the seven things God despises. You see, we must walk in Christ-likeness, crossing our racial, 
denominational, and political barriers to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We need to love with the love of Christ. It's the only way we can help others find hope in Christ. Only a church united can bring hope and healing to a nation divided. Regardless of whatever variance of points of view politically many of us may have, may the church find unity in our diversity so we can be that plumb line of healing and hope within a culture of so much division. You see, there are spiritual laws, natural laws, moral laws, and civil laws. Choices always have consequences, regardless of how much we try to excuse or justify them. Without these laws, especially spiritual and moral laws, we open the proverbial Pandora's box to lawlessness and anarchy. While I was reflecting on and pondering some of the historical examples in Israel that are lessons for the church in our nation today, I came across an article from Watch Jerusalem dated November 2019. It addressed similarities of the political and spiritual climate in Israel prior to the conquest by the Romans and ultimate destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD to that of today. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian who witnessed the tragedy of the destruction of Jerusalem and the desecration of the temple, wrote that the Jews turned their hands one against another. Divided families, towns, and communities were in conflict. You see, he witnessed the political divisiveness and the spiritual division from within that gave way to attack from without. The political and spiritual divisions and fighting in Israel caused instability and weakening, and ultimately, in 66 to 70 AD, Rome took conquest of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. In uncanny similarity, we can see today the political divisiveness and the church being divided by external and outside influences that is causing instability. This is why I personally sense the urgency to pray for the church and to get the wisdom of God. We need the atmosphere of His presence if we're going to see the transformation that we need. While there is so much infighting amongst the church and lived out in public, we are in danger of being a divided kingdom, so to speak. Also, with the advent of social media, we have come into a new era of how information is being disseminated. Although there is much opportunities in the use of today's social media and technologies, there has also been a plethora of exaggerated, skewed, even false information that has opened a Pandora's box of misinformation and rumors that has bred division, animosity, misinformation, and mistrust. Josephus wrote that disagreement became so sharp it split apart families. He said, there was also a bitter contest between those that were fond of war and those that were desirous for peace. At the first, this quarrelsome temper caught hold of private families who could not agree among themselves, after which those people that were the dearest to one another broke through all restraints and with regard to each other. Josephus continues, tensions intensified, civil unrest increased, society became unstable and lawless. Seditions arose everywhere. Jews gathered together in bodies in order to rob the people of the country. These armed mobs ransacked towns, looted storehouses, and pillaged the countryside. End quote. Does this sound familiar today? You see, John Wesley once asked his mother, Mom, how do you define sin? And she responded, Son, whatever weakens your reasoning impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes away your relish for spiritual things. It seems today that our reasoning is weakened, 
Our tenderness is impaired. Our sense of God is obscured in all the noise pollution around us, the verbal jargon, and all the rhetoric, thus depleting our relish for spiritual things even in the church. In the midst of all this, I believe God is shedding some light or putting a spotlight on His church. The Lord is shining the light of the Holy Spirit first upon us in His church and searching out the dross and the rubbish in our lives to purge and refine us in preparation for the days ahead. I believe the Lord is searching throughout the church with lamps of His Holy Spirit and marking those who are settled in compromise and complacency. And I quote Zephaniah 1.12. But He's also searching out and marking those who are weeping for all the detestable things that are going on within the church. And I quote Ezekiel 9.4. The book of Jude shows us that there would be a spiritual battle and that there would be an increase of apostasy, false teachers and teachings, an increase in an attack on the church, even on God and His Word. In these days of increasing apostasy and false teaching, those who love God's truth will not be liked for speaking the truth. But this cannot stop us from the work of the kingdom which we are called to, speaking His Word and sharing His love. We cannot be discouraged but what we see around us, retreating into our holy huddles and disengaging from a world that so desperately needs to see the light of Christ. You see, courageous leadership does not acquiesce to public opinion or what seems to be popular at the time. It does, though, with sensitivity and compassion, adhere to a love for the truth and personal convictions alike. We must be fully prepared mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We must be fully engaged with our eyes fixed ahead and our hand to the plow, ready to work in the harvest fields. Let us put aside our distractions. Let us put off discouragement. No more double-mindedness or doubting. We've all been the beneficiaries of the blessings of God. And even those who are not Christians have become beneficiaries of these very blessings. And God's intention for us, just as with Abraham's promise, was that we would in turn be a blessing to the nations. I believe this generosity comes from the Lord and allows us to hold on to God's redemptive thread as a nation. By caring for those in need, the church has given the nation access to God's promises in Isaiah 58.8 that in our time of need for healing, our recovery would speedily spring forth. See, throughout our history, we have been a blessing to nations. And it is my belief that from a benevolent standpoint, the church in America is what helped make America a blessing to the nations. No matter what difficulties we have gone through as a whole, we have always been a generous people. We have given to those who are suffering from disasters or hard times, both in our country and other nations, regardless of their personal preferences, political persuasion, pigmentation, or religion. I'm encouraged by Psalm 112, verse 1 through 9, that reminds us, even in darkness or difficult times, the light dawns for the upright. Those who are gracious, compassionate, righteous, generous, lends freely, scatters gifts to the poor, and walks justly. They will never be shaken, will be remembered forever. Have no fear of bad news. The heart is steadfast and trusts in God. The heart is secure. There's no fear. Will triumph and his horn will be lifted high in honor. You see, benevolence and generosity, though, is no longer generosity if forcibly made to give. It comes from the heart to give. That is why communism and socialism have failed. I remember being in a communist nation that once prided themselves as being the truly Marxist state. At the time, the average monthly income was equivalent to about U.S. $25 to $30. And while there, we visited with a company that came in from another country to start doing business there. 
they began interviewing locals to hire them. They planned on hiring over 100 local people. After hiring quite a few, the government officials came in and nullified many of those who they had hired because they were not members of the right party, the Communist Socialist Party. You see, in a socialistic communist state, it's inevitable it will become a police state. If you don't adhere to the party line of the Communist Party, you don't get positions and jobs and welfare, etc. Silencing anyone who thinks for themselves or has a different thought is no longer true freedom or expression of speech. It's now interesting to me how we're also seeing this selective censorship and selective freedom of speech and expression in America. Ultimately, we all suffer the consequences of this kind of control and manipulation. In the 70s, a revolution of young people took place in another nation. They thought they were fighting for a cause, yet found themselves under the grip of dictatorship that has enslaved them. Years later, another revolution of young people tried to peaceably and openly express their desire for freedoms in that same nation, but met with extreme measures against them. I've personally met with many from that nation and have heard the atrocious stories. Once we give up our freedoms, it's difficult to get them back. It is better to maintain our freedoms than to try to reobtain what we have lost. For nearly four decades, I've been to dozens of nations, including the aforementioned communist and socialist states. What we have may not be perfect, but at least we have a constitutional foundation that gives us the rights and the freedom to work with and others around the globe wish they had. I'm saddened to see how we've become so uncivil in our attitudes and discourse. If we were to see hope for the future or any lasting change, we need to all look at the inward corruption of our own individual hearts, then recognize and discern our corporate public consequences. Yes, there is an unseen spiritual battle going on, but we are seeing the manifestations in the natural all around us. A few years ago, I heard the former governor of Louisiana, Bobby Jindal, say, America did not create religious liberties, but religious liberties created America. You see, our constitutional republic and democracy will only survive if we hold on to our core values of our constitutional rights and freedoms. The freedom of religion, freedom of speech and expression, etc. are not just for those we align ourselves with, but also for those we may strongly disagree with. As an American with Asian descent, I'm extremely grateful for all the sacrifices made for my rights. See, I'm grateful for the constitutional rights, religious liberties, my freedom of speech and expression, that have been afforded to me. Although I'm not beholden to the donkey party or the elephant party, I do choose to express and stand for my biblical convictions as a follower of the government of the lamb and the lion. Sadly, there are ideologues and self-righteous elitists who care more about their ideas, politics, self-absorption, and aspirations than they do about the people they claim to care about. You see, the First Amendment to the United States Constitution is part of the Bill of Rights and protects core American civil liberties. The right to freedom of religion, freedom of speech, press, peaceful assembly, expression. Sadly, the freedom of religion is becoming more like the freedom from religion, and too often, more specifically, the freedom from Judeo-Christian religion. Our personal life experiences, race, religion, and relationships are all factors that influence our perspectives and our optics and our ideology. In turn, our preferences are easily influenced by and filtered by those ideologies. I desire and pray that my ideology be defined and based on God's character, word, nature, and spirit. As followers of Christ, it's imperative that we surrender our personal preferences and ideologies for the ideologies of the kingdom of God, not man's. 
The kingdom of God is built on relationships first with God, then with one another. May we be reminded to love God with all of our whole heart, mind, and soul, and to reflect Christ-likeness to others, even those who may not agree with us, or even those we may not agree with. As followers of Christ, we must live by our convictions based upon the characteristics of Christ rather than by our personal preferences. Our preferences are obviously influenced by many factors, but as Christians, our lives are to be surrendered to God through Christ. All kingdoms, principalities, and rulerships are subject to the preeminence of Jesus Christ, Colossians 1, 9-18 says, and Ephesians 3.10 says that that authority is given to the church. It's time for a soul-searching and corporate heart-awakening for revival in the nation. It will come by choice, circumstance, or consequence. It's better to have a heart-awakening than a rude awakening. Lasting reform and change can only happen when the inward corruption of the heart is dealt with. It will not last until we first are honest and deal with our hearts, individually and corporately. Quite a few years ago, I found the introductory commentary of the book of Zephaniah in one of my Bibles to be very revealing to where we are today as well. It says, During Judah's hectic political and religious history, reform comes from time to time. Zephaniah's forceful prophecy may be a factor in the reform that occurs during Josiah's reign, a revival that produces outward change, but did not fully remove the inward heart of corruption, which characterized the nation. See, Zephaniah hammered home his message repeatedly. And of course, many of us know about the reform of Josiah 622-623 BC. It was great that he brought the law back into the nation, But as Zephaniah said, and Jeremiah alluded to, that it will not last until you deal with the inward corruptions of the heart. And I believe God's speaking to the church in America as well today. In fact, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 1 through 9 speaks of her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people, unprincipled people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. You see, our nation is at a critical juncture and crossroads on many fronts. If our nation's broken cisterns and foundations are to be fixed, then we, the church, must awaken our hearts and get back to our spiritual moorings and biblical principles. John Calvin said, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward, he said, if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. Regardless of our political, philosophical, religious, or ideological beliefs, we must awaken to the reality that our foundations or freedoms are under attack. Where are the lovers of truth and the voices of conviction? As I mentioned earlier, I'm not beholden to the political party of the elephant or the donkey, but I am submitted to the government of the lamb and the lion. My political views are not based on personal preference or my own filtering, but I must come to the centrality of the cross, to the place of recognizing we can only cross our racial, denominational, and generational lines with true reconciliation if we have Christ at the center of our lives and in our hearts. Our personal preferences will always divide us. And we're far more united when we are together in Christ and we recognize His manifest presence. 2 Chronicles 5 says that when the priests came out of the holy, holy, holy presence of God, they came not according to division. I can imagine, when we come into the presence of a triune and holy God, our personal styles of worship, our racial and ethnic backgrounds, our political views are all equalized in His presence. We are undone, as Isaiah 6 says. 
When we are equalized in His holy presence, we become undivided. In that place, we have something far more in common together as one voice, one sound of worship for the glory of God. I'm praying that we would come to that place of putting aside our personal preferences and realizing they were part of the government of the Lamb and the Lion, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundations of the earth. The Lion of the tribe of Judah is roaring from heaven. May we hear and be awakened from our sleep and stop pushing our snooze buttons. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army in the late 1800s, said this, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. That was so prophetic when we consider where we are today in 2020. A.W. Tozer said that self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. I recognize today in our self-absorbed, self-righteous, self-centered, self-self-self society, we have found ourselves with a veil between us and God. What we need desperately is God's manifest presence. I find myself often praying Zephaniah 3, verse 3 through 5 and verse 9, and I put it this way, Lord, you are righteous and do no unrighteousness. You bring justice to light. You never fail. But the unjust knows no shame. Lord, hear our cry to restore to your people a pure language, a lip and heart, that we may all call on the name of the Lord and to serve you with one accord. For then, he says in Zephaniah 3, 9, for then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they may call on the name of the Lord to serve him in one accord. Be encouraged. In the book of 1 Samuel, we see Hannah in a humanly impossible situation. In her desperation, and after she commits her calling to God and promises her child to be offered to God in his service, he brought forth out of an empty womb and out of human impossibility a new generation of righteous judge and prophet. I believe God, out of the most humanly impossible situations of the past few decades, is about to bring forth a corporate generation of prophetic voices and a corporate generation of righteous judges. We need the Samuels to arise and the Esthers and the Deborahs to arise. This is our culmination moment. Don't give up. Don't draw back as into the perdition, but push forward. Yes, we're at a critical juncture, yet no matter what may happen in the season ahead, there's still a long view and need for the church to be engaged and positioned to bring in and be part of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our time, in this nation and around the world. Remember, those who tell the story define the narrative and create the history. We have the greatest story to tell because we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What is the narrative we want presented by our story? What is the history we want to see created as we define the narrative? It's our moment. Don't let the enemy divide and conquer, but let us remember and recognize we're part of something greater than ourselves. It's time to mend our net so we can be part of being cast by the Lord and bring in a great harvest. Daniel 2 verse 20 through 22 reminds us when Daniel says, For wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Let me conclude in praying something that I prayed from Acts chapter 4 verse 29 through 33. Now Lord, grant boldness that we may speak your word with authority and by your power. Stretch out your hand to heal. Let signs and wonders be done through your holy name, Lord Jesus. May you grant your great power to give witness to the work of the cross and the power of your resurrection, and that your great grace 
would be upon your people. If you are committed to pursue the presence of God and would like to participate with us in upcoming regional and national prayer events, you can find out more by going to somebodycares.org forward slash prayer underscore events or follow the link in today's episode notes. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you share it with a friend, post it to your social media, and make sure you never miss a word in season by clicking subscribe. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.